Today we're going to talk about uh, the fourth uh, message, and it's going to be a two-parter because I know I'm not going to get finished this morning, but uh, the parable of the wedding banquet. And the more I thought about this, I would imagine the nicest parties I've been to is usually at weddings. Now, uh, not all weddings have these great parties, but a lot of weddings that I've gone to through the years, I never stay for the reception. It's just something about the preacher in the reception. You kind of get, uh, you know, why is he still here? He did his part, now he can go, you know. But uh, at my, my, co- my nephew's wedding, boy, they danced. They had it at the Cotton something in McKinney down there on the east side of town, Dwayne, whatever that building, that all them windows in it. The cotton mill, they had it down there, and they'd redone it. It looks old, or it is old. And, boy, they went on and on for hours and hours and hours. I I think Denise and I left probably close to midnight, and uh, they were still going strong when we left. I don't know how long they went. But uh, to think about the greatest party you've been to, maybe it is a wedding, maybe it's another party, maybe it's the church Christian party, uh, you may have never thought about this quite this way, but uh, the Gospels of Jesus, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they show that Jesus loved parties. Now, that, that nearly sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? Because we get a picture of, of God or, or Christ just as a judge setting up waiting to thump somebody on the head. That's not the way Jesus is. Matter of fact, in this... Uh, in, our par- in our parable today, we're going to see that it, it's at a party, it's at a wedding banquet. Uh, uh, the very first uh, miracle that Christ performed, of course, when he, when he started his ministry, it was at a wedding party, and he changed water into wine, and they come out and said, you know, like most hosts would, as the wine started to run out, would pull out the cheap stuff, the, the T.J. Swan or the Brunsburg, Strawberry Hill, what's it called? You got two of them down here knew exactly what it was, didn't they? Boone Farm, what it was. Uh, you know, I just wondered. I knew the name. I just wondered who would own up. But, uh, uh, but in, that, in that case, the, the, the host said, well, you, sh- you saved the best for last, you know. And, and uh, matter of fact, there was several other parables that resolved around parties that Jesus was at or that Jesus attended. So it's not surprising that when the religious leaders decided they would accuse Jesus of something, you know, remember what they accused Jesus of? They couldn't find anything else. So they said, you hang around, and this is my quote, at too many parties with lost people and tax collectors. Remember when they said that? You're always out there with a bunch of sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees said, well, that's, that's your problem. When Christ was meeting people, kind of where they are. And sometimes I think we can be a lot like those Pharisees and forget that Jesus compared God's invitation uh, to his kingdom and to the subjects that he's talking about in this parable as a great party. And if you would, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter 22... Uh, as a result of that, I think we kind of lose our joy uh, if we don't realize that Christ is describing a great party 
And we kind of lose the joy of serving him. We, we kind of lose our enthusiasm for inviting others to be a part of this party because we get the idea that, that heaven and Christ is going to be like a long church service and we think who would want to be a part of that and we, we miss out. So my prayer is this parable we'll look at this morning. God will use it to restore our joy and to revigorate our passion for him. When we think about the party, we think about what the parable is. And we'll be in Matthew 22 in just a moment. But first, I want to kind of set the stage. In chapter 21 of Matthew, you can see the events that led up to Jesus telling this parable. Jesus is entering Jerusalem. As he entered Jerusalem on what we would refer to as Palm Sunday, Jesus is coming in, and although it's difficult to know exactly the, the, the order of events, the chronology of events that's taking place uh, during this part, it is the last week of Jesus' life. And there's some good evidence that, that this probably took place even on Monday. So he's working towards that last weekend of his life when he would be placed on the cross. The next day, Jesus enters the temple for the second time. He drives out the money changers there, and he healed the blind, he healed the lame, and then he went to Bethany for the night. This is all in chapter 21. The next day, which was probably Wednesday, less than 48 hours from when he would be crucified, he returns to the temple according to Luke's account, and Jesus was teaching and preaching the gospel. He's, he's preaching, he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He's confronted by Jewish leaders. In other words, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, they come to Jesus and they question his authority. They say, well, what authority do you have to heal and to teach? You know, they've asked him this question. They've, asked, they've, they've quizzed him in every way up to this point. So here he is. He's healing people. It's just always, uh, it's always amusing to me. Uh, you know, if you remember when, when Christ healed a guy that was blind and and, uh, and also when Christ healed a guy that was lame from birth. And the Pharisees, they got on to the guy. They said, you're carrying your mat on Sunday. What are you doing? That's against the law. And the guy said, man, I've been, I've been crippled my whole life. And the guy healed me, told me to get up and walk. And I'm walking, you know. And, and uh, instead of saying, man, this Jesus guy heals people, they're saying, what authority do you heal these people by? You know, and that's what I think about us at church sometimes. We come and we're pious and we're all serious and we're at church today. And, you know, tomorrow we're going to look like the world, but today we're going to put on our facade. We're going to come to church. That's where the Pharisees were. So they confront Jesus. They say, by whose authority are you healing and teaching in the temple? So Jesus responds with three parables, and that's where we are today. And, and these three different parables, the essence, the message of the judgment, uh, is for these religious leaders. So he's, the religious leaders come to him. He tells three parables back to them. So he's talking to these religious leaders. The first two parables uh, are the first parables about two sons. The second parable is about a vineyard that's been leased out to some tenant farmers. And the third one is what we're going to look at this morning. So I'm going to start reading there in verse 1 of chapter 22 of Matthew. And we'll start there. It says, And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He sent his servants out to call all those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. 
And again, he sent other servants the second time, saying, Tell those who are invited, <coughs> excuse me, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted calves, everything has been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Incidentally, if you're worried about one of the things we're going to do in heaven, we're going to eat in heaven. Isn't that going to be great? I love to eat, you know, and uh, and uh, we can understand that there's going to be we're going to eat, we're going to we're going to be physical people, physical bodies. I don't have time to go there, but but he's he, and we'll see. This is the kingdom of heaven he's describing here in just a moment. So he says, "I've got the fatted calves, everything slaughtered, everything's the barbecue's ready, everything's cooked." Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. They went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. So some went to the farm, some went back to their business. Some killed the servants for even coming the second time. And the king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. Go therefore into the main rows and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came and looked at the guests, he saw a man there who had no wedding garment. Now, this could be a little confusing, but we're going to look at it uh, either today or next week. And he said to them, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into utter, outer darkness in the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So this is the last parable of the three, and I pointed out at the first of the series, we need to be careful not to overanalyze these these parables. They're just a, a, a story that comes along aside of truth, and and so uh, we can determine the main message of the parable. That's what we've been trying to do and make sure that any conclusions or any applications that we may come up, uh, any parallels, that they're consistent with the main message. And, and as we look at those with those guidelines and we kind of function under that, uh, these parables are all equally important. And I want us just to quickly look at the, uh, the other two parables because we're going to focus on the last. But... but so the most relevant to us is the third, and, and this is the message of judgment to the Jewish religious leaders. Now, you need to hear that. Christ is talking about the Jewish religious leaders here. This is a parable in which he's talking about judgment for them. I've already mentioned that this is the third of the three, so Jesus is responding to those leaders who came and asked him question, by what authority are you doing these things? And by condemning and and uh, pronouncing judgment on them, he gives them the message of the parables. So the parable of the, about the kingdom of heaven, it's obvious that the king in this parable is God himself. So when we read this and it says the king has the banquet ready, Christ is talking about God himself. Now, one thing about the Pharisees that I have to remind myself over and over, we talk about the Pharisees in a bad light usually, rightfully so, so often. But we need to understand the Pharisees were experts in the law. In other words, the old covenant. 
the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. They were experts. They knew it from front to back. They could quote it. They knew everything about the law. Their problem was they started adding a bunch of things that weren't in Scripture. They started changing up the law. And, but, but we don't need to think about them as, well, they're just a bunch of old heathens out there, which God called them heathens. But uh, they did understand when Jesus taught who he was talking about. Sometimes probably even better than I do and better than we do. So in the parable, God himself is the king. They figure this out, and they, they kind of show that here. in men. And the king invites a number of people in those days. Remember, this was the most joyful party of the time. In, in this time, the, 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 everybody that had someone involved in a wedding would hold a wedding feast, even to the very poorest families. They would have some type of wedding feast, and it would last a full week. So all week long, and even the poorest of families would, would hold a wedding feast because it was a great occasion. It was a time that someone was getting married. It was, it was the very best food they could possibly afford. Whatever that was, they would prepare that. And certainly when you went to a royal wedding, no expense would be spared. So uh, as thinking about the poorest families, maybe they could only uh, afford a, a, a goat or a lamb or something. And then here we see the king says, I've got fatted calves, I've got fatted animals. So, so this would have been a, a, a wedding banquet with no expenses would have been spared. Probably one of the, the, the most anticipated weddings I remember, and I maybe even read some things about it, and I don't know why I'm not that interested in the royal family, but you may remember in 2011, Prince William married who? Kate Middleton. I don't know if y'all remember that or not. I don't know why I was kind of caught my eye on that, but I was reminded about that this week. Because of England's high unemployment rate during that time, 2011, uh, their physical measures they had put on the on the government had put on the people were were kind of binding them down. So the royal family said, "We're going to we're going to subdue this event. We're going to we're not going to go all out." They only spent thirty four million dollars on the wedding, so they really cut back. They didn't want to overdo, you know, because of the poor people. Uh, they invited 1,900 guests, only 1,900 guests, which the $34 million is just hard for me to comprehend how you could spend that on a wedding, but, uh, but 1,900 guests was not a large number of guests for an event like this. So if you got an invitation to, that, to, the, to the royal wedding, there's no way that you would have turned that down. If you could come watch... Prince William and, and Kate Middleton get married, and you were one of the few that got the got the invitation. You would have surely been there. So that's kind of the same thing we're looking at. Jesus began this parable by explaining that the kingdom of heaven is like the greatest celebration they could imagine. They're, he's talking to the king. He's talking about a. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking about a king. He's talking. He's describing what the party looks like. And, and as I said. Even though it's out of our realm of today, the Pharisees would have completely understood, hey, this is a big event he's talking about. Now, this is a parable. But they'd have said this, was a, this is a big event, and it's going to be one of, the, one of the wealthiest and most important things that's going to happen here. It's, a, it's, it's certainly a big ideal. But when the, 
when the invitations went out, you would think nobody would turn that invitation down. Nobody would, nobody would say, well, I, I'm just not going to go. I mean, all they spent was $34 million after all. Why would I go look at something like that? I'm just, I'm just not going to go. When the king sends out the invitation, there's different reasons that, that they decided they won't go. And he's talking about the Jews here, especially the religious leaders. They just don't come. So the king is patient, right? So he says, hey... I'm going to send another group of servants out. The first time, maybe they went out and said, hey, remember, we're having that party. It's going to start Saturday. It's going to go through the next Saturday. Uh, it's going to be a great time. We want to make sure you're coming. Nobody shows up. So the king says, all right, I'm going to send you out again. The second group of servants tell everybody, hey, the fatted calf's been slaughtered. Everything's prepared. The wedding dinner is there. Everything's on the table. The seats are there. It's cool in here. The air conditioner's blowing. Everything's going to be great. Go out and tell them to come on in. And what happens? We read it right there in Scripture. It says some of them were just indifferent. Some of them, some of them just, went, just they went back to their farms. They went back to their businesses. They just... They just uh, they, they, were, they were just indifferent about the invitation. Some got mad at the servants for even coming and inviting them again and killed them. I was thinking about that. You know, there's, there's people today that are openly hostile towards Christians. They don't like Christians. They don't like Christ. They don't know like anything about really us because they say we're narrow-minded and one-sided and we're... Uh, just name it, you know, anything you could put on us, they put it, and they become hostile towards that. I've always thought this, and it's just a little side note. You know, if somebody comes to your door and knocks and says, I'd like to uh, introduce Christ to you, or I told you about our youth that went to Six Flags and was passing out flyers to people, and one guy just tears it up and throws it away. You know what? That's one of the nicest things somebody could do for you, to come to you and say, hey, I want to introduce you to Jesus Christ, because you know what they're telling you? I think enough of you, even if they don't know you, I think enough of you that I want to invite you to this great banquet. And I don't want to see you miss an opportunity to come to this great banquet. That's what someone does who goes and invites someone to be a part of Christ's family. And that's where we're going to get to here in just a moment this morning. But, but if we have that opportunity or if somebody even comes to you and, and uh, invites you to be a part of that, don't, don't be hostile towards them, but just be thankful that God has sent some your way. So anyway, there were some there that, that uh, killed the servants, and the king says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out, and because of the re rejection of this invitation, uh, God sent his troops. He destroyed those who had been mistreated. Now, we're going to get to that group in just a moment. So the king sends out another group of servants. This is the third invitation. He sends out another group of servants, and he says to them, go out into the world and invite everybody, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Go invite them all. Go out to the ditches. Go out to the bushes. Go out to the hedges. Go down there under the bridges in downtown Dallas. Go down there to the, to the bad part of town. Invite everybody. Invite them on in. And it says he sent that invitation out, and as a result, the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, what are the Jews thinking? The Jews recognize that they are the first two groups of people. 
they also would recognize that that third group of people are who? Gentiles. It's us. You know what they call us? Barbarians. You know why they call barbarians barbarians? Because when the Jews would hear Gentiles speak, they would say, all we hear is barbarians. That's what they, That's where that actually came from. That's Charlie Brown's teacher, you know. Wah, 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 wah. They, when, they heard, when they heard Gentiles, they just said, they're a bunch of barbarians. So as Jesus taught, he said, go out to the Gentiles. Go out to the streets and the hedges and the bad folks and invite them to come in. And it, the wedding was filled with guests. Jesus is clearly speaking to the Jews about their religious leaders, and here the religious leaders understood that. They weren't dumb. They perceived what Jesus was saying. They, they, I can just kind of see a couple in the back go, he's talking about us. <laughs> yeah, that guy's talking about us. We come to ask him what authority, and all of a sudden he's saying that we're the ones that, that missed out on the wedding banquet. He's talking about us. Look what it says in Matthew 21 45. It says, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was talking about them. We don't have to say, well, Jake, you think that they understood. No, it says right there, they perceived, they understood. Hey, Christ, this man that's teaching here, he's talking about us. The message was pretty clear. God invited Israel to the kingdom and they rejected his invitation, so God sent additional servants like the prophet John the Baptist. He sent other servants to extend another invitation before Christ came. What did they do? They killed him. They killed John the Baptist. They killed those who came before Christ. They were indifferent. They were hostile. Uh, and, and so God says, I'm going to judge Israel, and I'm going to destroy the city of Israel. The city of Jerusalem, I'm going to judge that. Now, the Pharisees would have understood that. We have, to, we have to understand the setting and the teaching of the Old Testament to understand that the Pharisees, as, as Christ was telling this parable, they would have understood, okay, we killed the servants that came before Jesus, and now he's saying that Israel is going to be judged in the parable. What did the king do? He sent his army out, and they wiped out those who had killed the first servants. That came true in 40 years after this parable. Titus led the Roman army and they conquered Jerusalem. They, they destroyed the city. So, so 70, 40 years in 70 AD after Jesus said this, that became a reality. This parable became a reality in that, that God sent judgment upon Israel. So Israel had rejected him, so God sent his servants out. He came to the Gentiles and then Paul later was the apostle to the Gentiles. That's what Paul was. He gives detailed scripture, uh, detailed uh, aspects of the kingdom in Romans chapter 9 through chapter 11. So if you want to have some good details about the kingdom of God, go read Romans, uh, especially chapters 9 through chapter 11. And Paul kind of describes that. So I've already pointed out the main theme of this parable or uh, are the two additional related ways in which this parable functions. Here's the second. It's a call for each individual to evaluate themselves. That's what this parable is. It's, it's uh, uh, evaluate himself or herself in God's call to you. 
I want you to do that this morning. You'll notice that the king issues a number of invitations, but he never issued an edict. What an edict was, y'all remember Daniel? When Daniel in the lion's den, that's not just a children's Bible study. That happened. That's not a parable. Daniel was told that you have to bow down to the king, and if you weren't, you would be thrown into the lion's den. You know why that all took place? Because there were some people went to the king, and they talked the king into issuing an edict. And if the king issued an edict, and he wore a signet ring that, they would, that he would seal in whatever he sealed it in, maybe it was wax, maybe it was gold, maybe it was something, but if that signet ring was sealed upon that order, it was an edict, and everybody had to follow it. That's how Daniel ended up there. The king didn't want Daniel to go to the lion's den. If you go and study that whole thing. But because he had issued an edict, they had to follow it. And, of course, Daniel said, I'm not going to follow it, and he ended up in the lion's den. You know the rest of the story. If not, you can go find that in Scripture. But here's the thing. God never forces anyone to come to the party. God never forces us to say, I want to go to the wedding banquet. I have an invitation. Now, maybe when you were young, you were forced to go to a party. Maybe when you're married, your wife says, we are going. And you're forced to go, and you say, well, I'm going to go, but I ain't going to have fun. Well, you can go and not have fun, but the king doesn't do that. The king gives a choice to everyone to come to the wedding. And how do you respond to that invitation individually? Because God has issued every one of us individually an invitation to come to the wedding. Nobody else can decide that for you. No one else can. You can't say, well, my family's all going. You know, my, my, my grandfather's going. My grandmother went. My mom and daddy, they're all at the, I'm, uh, I'm just going to show up too. No, we have to make a, a choice individually. If you get an a invitation to something and it has RSVP on it, it says respond if you please. Respond if you're coming. That's for how many is your guest? How many is in your party? Each one needs to respond individually. When it comes to that, we understand that we have an individual responsibility to respond to God's call. God made a, an issue of his invitation earlier in uh, his kingdom. He sent his son. He said, here's my son, and, and he came to earth to die upon the earth. He came to be placed upon the cross that we might enter the kingdom of God. And then he had a conversation with Nicodemus. I'm kind of all over the scripture this morning, but Nicodemus was a guy that come to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit uh, life or tell me what teacher, what, you, uh, what I can do to get to heaven. And Je Jesus, here was God's invitation to Nicodemus. He said, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that who would ever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now that's what we all know, John 3, 16, but here's the rest of that, 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, through Christ. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, that invitation that Jesus taught Nicodemus about, it was individual. It was for each of us that 
He loved us so much He sent His Son. And if we accept that, we have a, 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 a way to get to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ. But it's our individual response. He said, I'm willing to send my Son to die in your place. And, and if you'll simply accept that, then I'm willing to give you a great place at God's banquet table. Oh, I'd love to go talk about. If we were, if we were one of them churches that just went all day, we'd go talk about uh, Melphibosheth right now. Y'all remember Melphibosheth? He was Jonathan's son, crippled in both feet, and King David took over, and he went out there, and he found Melphibosheth in a, an old dried, thirsty land, and he brought him to the, to the palace. And what he did, he put him at the king's table at a banquet. And that's, that's us. God says, individually, have you made that decision? I think there's three things, and this is where we're going to close this morning, that keeps us from doing that. The first we see in the parable is some refuse the king's invitation because of normal things in their lives. Just normal things like families, their jobs, hobbies, just vacations, just anything. I, I'm just, I just have other things going. I, I, I'm, I'm just kind of indifferent. There, there's probably some folks here this morning. I want to, ask, I want to ask you to think about it. Are you kind of just indifferent about God's word? Matter of fact, you're looking. We've got ten minutes. I wish you'd get through. I'm kind of getting hungry, and we can move on. And, and after all, that was a pretty neat story. But it really, don't. I'm really indifferent to it. In that invitation, we see there are those who are indifferent because of just things of the everyday world. We're not openly hostile towards God. We're not openly against God. We're just kind of indifferent to what God has for us. The second group, there is a group that's kind of hostile, and we talked about them. There, there are some people in the parable that were openly hostile towards the king and towards his servants. Uh, obviously, we still have a lot of people like that in our culture today. They're not merely indifferent, but they're hostile they don't want to hear anything about God's kingdom. There may be some folks, I don't know if there's any here today, but if so, the good news is it's not too late. God's invitation is still there. Even if we're hostile, even if we're indifferent, God's invitation is still here. It's still open. He's still waiting for us to RSVP. The last group was simply this, selfishness. In the verses 11 and 14 through 14, we see that, that selfishness that come in. Once the wedding feast began, the king noticed that one of the guests wasn't wearing proper garments. Now, that confused me because the, the king, God said, go out into the, the hedges and the ditches and the bushes and invite the good and invite the bad and... And they all came in, and then the king said, Hey, why don't you have on wedding garments? Now, there's a couple of answers to that that I wasn't aware of, that as I kind of began to study this, uh, I began to understand. The fact that only one person shows up with a, without the proper garments kind of enlightening, because in the culture of the day, the king would often supply the proper clothing. So they were without excuse. They had the pro if you didn't have the proper clothing, I remember going to a uh, to a place to eat one time. I don't remember where it was. Somebody somebody will remember here. But if you had a tie on, they would cut your tie in two. Yeah, y'all ever heard of that? And all around the room there were there were half ties hanging 
because that, weren't, that wasn't the proper dress for there. You want to come in there, and it was a steakhouse or a barbecue place or something, but, uh, huh? Trail dust, is that what it was? So, so you, had to, you had to get rid of the tie, and they provided a way to have the proper garments with a set of scissors. Well, during this time, the, the host of the wedding, the host of the banquet, would have had the proper garments. But when you start studying this, what this really lends itself to is because of the times, it didn't have to do with the garments. Someone had came in with their own garment on to try to look higher and better than anyone else. So let me give you a quick example. We're going to be through at just about 5 after 12, so hang with me. The Pharisees wore these robes. And on these robes, they had, it's kind of like, to me, it reminds me of graduation ceremonies. You know, I didn't have any of these, if you're wondering. I didn't have those three or four things they put around your neck. All I had was a diploma that Mama said, give it to me, because if they figure this out, they're going to take it away from you. So that's all I had, you know. But during this time, the Pharisees, according to their level, they would have more... What do we call it? Bling nowadays. Well, they would have more bling. They would have, they would have tassels, and on the end of those tassels, they would have bells. And on all of their, the, the Bible calls it phylacterums, on all their, all their bling. So when they walked, that you could hear them coming. And everybody go, woo, that's the Pharisee. And look at all the things. Look how great he is. More than likely, somebody showed up at the wedding that said, hey, look at me. This is about what I've done. This is about how great I am. This is, a, is about everything that, that I have. And, and so when he goes to the wedding, this improper dress is is that man saying, hey, look at me. Don't look at the wedding. I'm greater than this wedding. I've done all of these things for myself. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. If you've not heard that translation, that's the ESV. The, the NIV says, are as filthy rags. I always say I'm going to explain what that is one of these days. I will one of these days. Come see me if you don't know what that's actually talking about. But, but the best we have is filthy rags. When we try to uh, enter the kingdom based on our deeds, when we try to enter the kingdom uh, because we are a good person and we come to church and we sing and we do all the thing and we read the Bible and we pray and we give money and we do all these things and we think, well, God's going to let me in the Heaven, because I do all those things. I do everything right. The best God sees is that's just a filthy rag. You might say, well, I, I, don't, I don't think that's right. Well, it is right because we get to heaven through Jesus Christ that said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm life. No one comes to the Father. I've said this many times. Aren't you glad that we don't work our way to heaven? Because how would you like to sit down next to Roy and Royce tell you four hours everything he did to get to heaven. <laughs> Let me tell y'all what I did. <laughs> Let me tell you what I did. And I did this, this, and this, and you're just going, oh, my gosh. You know, you got pictures to go with that. And, you know, so yeah, aren't you glad it ain't going to be that way? Aren't you glad you're not going to have to listen to someone brag about everything they did to get to heaven? 
Aren't you glad you're not going to come brag about, hey, I've got this big mansion because after all, let me tell you what I've done. I had perfect attendance for 10 years. I, uh, I did all of these things and, and, and we're sitting there. The Bible says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Jesus said, I'm the only way to heaven. This guy comes to the, to the uh, banquet with this polluted garment on. Look at me and look at what all I've done and I deserve to be here. So what's the, pretty, the, the proper wedding uh, garments of the time? Listen to this. Isaiah 61.10. Here they are. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord and my soul shall uh, exalt in my God for he hath clothed me. Remember the... the the person hosting the wedding would have had the wedding clothes. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with beautiful headdress a bride as, and as a bride adorns himself with jewels. Isaiah said... God has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Just like, a, just like a groom at a wedding, just like a beautiful bride at a wedding, God has clothed me. I can't clothe myself with righteousness. You can't clothe yourself with righteousness. Second Corinthians said, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Let's bow together. I want to ask you today, just as we thought about that greatest party that we've been a part of, maybe many of us think of different ones. Maybe you say, I've never been to a party that's ever that great. I want to ask you about the invitation today. There's some that's just going to be indifferent. Just indifferent. There may be some that's maybe not openly hostile, but Hey, Jake, I gave you till noon. You went over. I'm ready to get out of here. We're just a little bit hostile to God. Maybe there's some that would say, well, I don't call myself selfish, but after all, I've been looking around this morning, and I'm a lot better than some folks that are here. We've, we've put our wrong clothes on. The best we can offer God without Jesus Christ is as filthy rags. But God sent his son, yet while we were sinners, to die for us. When we accept the invitation to come to the wedding banquet, that's to come to the kingdom of God, he clothes us with the righteousness that we get through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this morning that in the babbling and confusion of what I might say, Lord, that your spirit would give us the truth of your word, that you'd give us a bold understanding of the invitation offered today, the invitation of God himself, not of East Delta Church, not of Jake, not of this group of people, but the invitation of God himself to say, you know what, I want to invite you to come be a part of the greatest banquet that will ever take place, to be a part of the kingdom of God. If you've never done that this morning, would you just say, God, I'm ready right now. We'll only come to God if he calls us. So if you're already contemplating that and thinking about that, that's God the Father handing you the invitation. And I want to ask you to respond. Lord, as you move in our hearts, I pray, Lord, that we would be responsive to the wooing of your spirit. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.